0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. All right, let's talk about the hike in the central bank rate announced yesterday by Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem. Here we go again. Another quarter point interest rate hike announced yesterday. Let's have a listen to what he had to say.
1: Today, we raised our policy interest rate by 25 basis points to 5%. Underlying inflationary pressures are proving more persistent than we expected. Higher interest rates are needed to slow the growth of demand in the economy and relieve price pressures.
0: All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Jim Stanford, economist at the Center for Future Work. Jim, thanks for coming on this morning. My pleasure, Mike. Okay, Jim, let me ask you about your thoughts on this rate hike here. There was, I guess, a little bit of faint hope in the last few days that maybe we could we could dodge this bullet here. You heard the the governor there make the case for another rate hike. What do you think? Is this the right thing to do?
2: No, I, I don't. Uh, perhaps I could use a medical analogy, Mike. If you bang your head against the wall nine times, you've probably got a headache. Well, we just banged our head the tenth time, so now we've got a migraine uh, we didn't dodge this bullet. And my guess is, frankly, we've got one or two more bullets coming our way. I, I think that the impact of higher interest rates on inflation, anything other than energy prices, energy prices have come down. that has got nothing to do with interest rates. It's been the main good news on the inflation front over the last year. Everything else, there's been very little impact from higher interest rates. So my guess is they're going to keep tightening that those screws uh, and it's going to take a lot of pain before they get it down that final mile to the two percent yeah. goal that they're pursuing.
0: One of the things that he repeated a few times yesterday was that there is a, a lag time between yeah. an interest rate adjustment and then the flow through and and the impact in the overall economy and the and the inflation rate. Given that there is a lag time, why why do you think he doesn't just wait? I mean, we why don't we just wait and see how the last Rate increase flows through the system. Why why is there the urgency now? Yeah, never mind the last one, Mike. How about the first
2: one? The uh, economists, including the Bank of Canada, say it takes 18 to 24 months for an interest rate change to have its full impact on the economy. Why? Because it takes time for uh, households to have to renegotiate their mortgages. It takes time for households to adjust their consumer spending. It takes time for businesses to adjust their borrowing and investment spending. So uh, the first rate increase was only last March. That is 16 months ago. So we haven't even had the full impact of that very first hike, let alone the nine now that have come afterwards. So there is still a lot of pain in the pipeline still to be felt. And uh, I think your point is entirely valid. Uh, now, he's driven in, in a way by almost his own kind of image concerns or the image concerns for the Bank of Canada. They say that the so-called credibility of the bank will be undermined if they're not seen as being sufficiently resolute in trying to get inflation down. But uh, we're wow. talking about, you know, the risk to the overall economy, not to the Bank of Canada's reputation. And I think they should have been uh, uh, certainly a lot more cautious, not just with this rate hike, but with the last few
0: Yeah, this is going to hurt a lot of people for sure. And he was asked about that yesterday. What about people with variable rate mortgages, lines of credit? And here's what he had to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. So this is Tiff Macklem, uh, Governor of the Bank of Canada, speaking yesterday. Let's listen.
1: If we don't do enough now, we'll likely have to do even more later. But if we do too much, we risk making economic conditions unnecessarily painful for everybody. We've come a long way, and we don't want to squander the progress we've made. We need to stay the course to restore price stability for Canadians.
0: Okay, so he acknowledges there, Jim, about the potential for pain being caused by these rate hikes, but he said, you know, it's a balancing act. He seems to think he's in the right spot, the sweet spot. What do you think about what he had to say there?
2: Well, a couple of things, Mike. First of all, that term unnecessarily painful was kind of interesting. It jumped out at me yesterday as well. He wants pain. That is the point of this whole thing. But he's kind of saying, but we don't want too much pain. We just want the right amount of pain. And the reality is... Uh, he has said explicitly he wants to get higher unemployment and he wants to reduce the spending power of Canadian households. Both of those mean pain. And we're seeing it. We're seeing households that have to find several hundred dollars a month now that they used to spend on food, clothing and shelter and now give it to the banks uh, in interest payments. Uh, So, you know, this idea that, you know, he's trying to avoid pain is a, a bit misleading. You know, he does want to have only just the right amount of pain. And forgive me if I don't you know, feel too uh, happy about that. Um, the trade-off between you know doing too much and doing too little, I think, is uh, you know they're they're heading for what they call the soft landing scenario. That would be their optimum outcome, where they just slow economic growth down for a while. They let the unemployment rate grow gradually, uh, in part through increased labor supply, rather than through outright job losses, and hope that that cools off uh, inflation down to the two percent. But. Again, over the last uh, last year, uh, inflation's come down a lot, and it had nothing to do with those interest rates. It had to do with lower energy prices, lower profits in the energy sector, and some other sectors. Uh, and I think that's what we need more of, instead of throwing a cold bath over the entire economy.
0: Okay, could this trigger a recession? And you think he want like, is this the, the point of this? Do we want a, does he want a, a recession? Yeah, he doesn't
2: want a recession. That would be wrong. Um, But I think he's he's risking one big time. And it wouldn't be just this last 25 basis point increase. It would be the cumulative impact of all the previous ones, including the effects uh, of which, uh, as we talked about, are still in the pipeline. So, Um, Now, you know, uh, many economists, myself included, have been worrying about a recession. History suggests that if you're going to increase interest rates this much and try to reduce inflation that much that quickly, it, it has never come without a recession in history. So we'd be marking new ground if, in fact, we do this without a recession. Um, it hasn 't happened yet, and there 's no imminent signs. you know job growth uh, was still pretty positive in the last uh, last few months so um, yeah. but I think there are enough warning signs out there about falling construction activity, for example, um, deteriorating uh, consumer and business confidence, business investment uh, is down uh, all of those things are flashing uh, flashing red, so you know I think the chances of a recession later this year or early next year are still better than even.
0: Speaking to Jim Stanford, economist at the Centre of Future Work, we're talking about the latest interest rate hike from the Bank of Canada yesterday. Do you think that, I mean, the previous interest, inflation has gone down. I mean, we're, we peaked out around, what, a little over 8%. We're down to around 3%. It seems to be holding sort of sticky at 3% right now. He made that point over and over again yesterday. From your point of view, the 3% inflation that we're at right now, that could have allowed him to hold hold the course and just keep interest rates where they are
2: well we have had this huge progress since last year inflation's fallen by over half so it was 8.1% in june last year and now it's down to 3.4% the problem is almost all that was due to lower energy prices. Most of the uptick was due to energy prices and most of the downtick was due to energy prices. So what I take from that is, number one, we shouldn't have been quite as panicked about the 8% inflation last year as uh, as Mr. Macklem was. It was driven by energy prices and in general – Energy prices, when you look at what happens on the world oil market, this was in the wake of the original invasion of Ukraine, and there was all this fear and speculation and financial profiting happening, but that always unwinds. Every time there's another crisis somewhere, the oil price shoots up, but then it eventually shoots down, and that's exactly what's happened. So I think we shouldn't have been as alarmed about 8% inflation as people were. But now we're back to something in the range of 3 to 4% for core inflation taking out the energy prices, and he still thinks that's too high. Now, you know, yeah. it's higher than his target, but it isn't the end of the world, frankly, particularly if people's wages and social benefits and so on keep up with it. And I think we could take some more time to try and get it down that, uh, that final mile. The other irony, Mike, to be, to be honest here, Uh, The Bank of Canada's interest rate hikes themselves are now causing inflation. And this is the thing that is just maddening, you know, for anyone in Canada who has a mortgage, the biggest single contributor to inflation right now is higher debt charges on mortgages, which were obviously the direct result of higher interest rates to fight inflation. Moreover, Uh, Mr. Macklem talked yesterday about the danger because falling housing starts mean housing supply isn't keeping up with demand. Demand is booming, of course, because our population is growing. And he says that's going to cause more inflation. Well, why does he think housing starts are down? They're down because of high interest rates. So uh, directly and indirectly, in the housing market in particular, uh, these interest rate hikes are doing more harm than good to that battle to bring inflation down.
0: Does this guy know what he's doing like do you have confidence in him running the the central bank and the reason I ask that is let's go back to this clip And this is getting a lot of traction online this particular clip I'm going to play so let's go back in time here now we're going back here to 2020 okay this is July of 2020 so we're talking at, we're at the start of the pandemic and there was a lot of uncertainty to say the least at that time and this was his message to Canadians at that time. So this is Tiff Macklem speaking in 2020, and then I'll get your thoughts.
1: Interest rates are very low, and they're going to be there for a long time. If you've got a mortgage, uh, or if you're considering to make a major purchase, or you're a business and you're considering making an investment, you can be confident that interest rates will be low for a long time. Uh, Low interest rates make spending and investment more affordable, and spending and investment will support
0: the recovery. That would be our
1: message to Canadians.
0: Okay. In fairness to him, it was three years ago. But looking back on that, isn't that kind of embarrassing now to hear that? To say that, you know, just reassuring, go out and spend. Go
2: ahead. Your thoughts. Oh, he must cringe. He must cringe every time that gets played. Um, Now, again, think back July 2020, we were in the thralls of the pandemic, whole sections of the economy had been shut down. At that point, we had deflation, that means prices were falling. And the Bank of Canada was doing everything it could to prevent an all out, you know, depression, basically, at that moment. So he was trying in a way to jawbone Canadians into being a bit more optimistic about the future and get them out to spend. So, you know, I think those words were, were mischosen and you can't predict the future as certainly as he was, but he was trying to inspire Canadians with confidence to borrow and spend. So, you know, I think many Canadians who did exactly that maybe went out and took on a big mortgage at that moment when housing prices fell for a little bit during the pandemic, uh, you know, could be right righteously angry right now that he was he was giving bad advice. Do you kind of think he yeah. sorry, go ahead.
0: Do you cut him any slack at all on it? I mean, it does go back three years, but man, when you, when yeah. you play that now, like that's cringeworthy, like you said.
2: Yeah, and I I think he could just be a bit more honest now. Instead of of being this kind of so-called technocratic expert where he can read the tea leaves and determine exactly what the interest rate should be and know exactly what has to be done, and he says, yes, the problem is wages are too high and spending power is too high and unemployment is too low, he asserts all these things with enormous confidence, and I think he needs a bit more humility uh, given the ups and downs of the past few years.
0: Jim, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. My pleasure,
2: Mike. Always good to talk to you. There is a, a strong argument to make that the rate increases are having their effect, uh, but it seems to be having the effect on people who can least afford it.
0: Okay, as Bremer David E. B. speaking yesterday, reacting to the quarter point interest rate hike, is saying it's going to hurt people who can least afford it. Yeah, he did not seem very happy with this rate hike yesterday either let's check in with Victor Tran now Victor is a mortgage and real estate expert at rates.ca I'm very pleased to welcome him back Victor thank you for coming on thanks mike appreciate it a lot what kind of what will be the impact of this rate hike
3: well for every $100,000 borrowed a quarter percent increase equals to about an extra $15 a month all right so for example if someone has a $500,000 mortgage, that's about an extra $75 a month, so not not insignificant.
0: Right, so for people with variable rate mortgages, obviously, they're, are they the ones who are going to feel the most immediate impact?
3: Exactly. Anyone holding onto a credit product that's tied to the prime rate. So yes, variable rate mortgage holders, uh, anyone that has a HELOC, which is a home equity line of credit, or in other words, a secure line of credit, Uh, Even customers that are holding on to unsecured personal lines of credits, they're all going to feel a pinch.
0: Yeah. And those home equity line of credits, they are typically, the interest bite there is typically higher than a mortgage, correct?
3: Exactly. Exactly. So the standard rate or the going rate right now for a HELOC is prime plus 0.5. So the new prime rate is now 7.2 plus half percent. We're looking at 7.7% on a HELOC.
0: Oh, man. Ouch. This is hurting. This is going to hurt a lot of people. What about if you got a fixed-rate mortgage?
3: Well, fixed-rate mortgage holders uh, are not impacted with um, with these recent rate hikes, uh, but they will face higher rates come renewal, whether that's yeah. this year, next year, or even the next two years. I mean, I think these high rates are here to stay for a little while. Um, very surprising to see what bond yields have been doing for the past month now, which, of course, fixed mortgage rates are directly tied to. For the past month, fixed rates have increased by almost 1%. So across the board right now, from a one-year fix to about a five-year fix, we're looking at high 5% to low 6% on fixed rates, pretty much back to where we were in around 2007. And and that's when I started in the mortgage industry. I remember the first five-year fix I sold was 5.79, and we're pretty much there now.
0: Victor, what's your advice to your your clients that people are calling you and they're worried? Can you go to your bank and try to... Try to work something out, maybe get a longer amortization, renegotiate?
3: Yes, highly recommended to talk to the current lender. That's probably the best course of action. Right? Um, you know, I, In my opinion, I think the lenders are in the business to make money, not to go to uh, power of sales or, or foreclose on homes. That's a very lengthy process, very expensive as well too. Uh, and, and I think the lenders will handhold these clients and uh, work with them to ensure they can continue paying the mortgage. I mean, back in 2020, when COVID started, they were pretty quick, they as in the lenders, uh, they, they were pretty quick to offer uh, payment deferrals uh, up to four months, five months, even six months. And, and they offered that fairly quickly, you know, no questions asked. Uh, I would not be surprised if that uh, if that comes back or that's being offered to these customers. Um, and, and, you know, the extended amortization, it, it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take you 70 80 or 90 years to pay off the mortgage right it, it's this that you know it's a the lenders just notifying the, the customer saying hey you know at this rate if this continues and you're only paying right. interest towards the mortgage right. it's going to take you 90 years but eventually the rates will come back down and naturally those amortizations will shorten
0: thank victor thank you for your time today i appreciate it okay thank you All right, welcome back to the show. Boy, that was some great news that we just heard on your newscast there with the tentative deal in the port strike. So that is the breaking news at this hour. We talked about that earlier on the show today. Remember that a mediator had put a tentative deal on the table for both sides in the 13-day-old port strike that has shut down all BC BC ports. There was a 10.30 a.m. deadline there. For the two sides to accept this deal and the word from the union here, the BC Maritime Employers Association, uh, the employer group as well, that the deal has been accepted. So there is a tentative deal in the 13-day-old BC port strike, which is great, great breaking news here at this hour. Make sure you keep it locked here for continuing coverage of that developing story all right let's talk about this difficult economy we've got going on here right now so many people are struggling to get by and especially when you take a look at the prices of basic necessities gas and food the rents that people are paying if they can find a decent affordable place to rent lots of people are just barely scraping by they are living paycheck to paycheck Check out this new survey now. It says more than half of Canadians, including more than half of British Columbians, saying that they are barely making ends meet. They are less than 200 bucks away from being able to pay all their bills at the end of the month. Paycheck to paycheck. I've got Rabina Ahmed-Hawk standing by to discuss, our personal finance expert. Have a listen to this here now. Have a listen to Single Mom... Vanessa Malloy from Vancouver on the struggles that she and her family face. Listen.
4: I try and
1: buy fruit that doesn't go bad really fast. I go in and I spend $100 on it. I look at it and I go, you know, 18 months ago, this I would have gotten double this for $100. It used to be I'd have a little bit left for some fun extras, whereas now whatever would have been left isn't and it's used for the essentials you just want to put your head in the sand and not think about it but you know that's not the reality you can't ignore these things it definitely weighs on me
0: okay a single mom vanessa malloy and i think her story is emblematic of what a lot of people are feeling and struggling with as they go through this difficult economy now you've got another interest rate hike announced yesterday by the central bank for a lot of people that could make things even tougher. All right, let's discuss now with my guest Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Rabina is a personal finance expert. I definitely recommend Rabina's show for what it's worth. You can hear it on Saturday and Sunday here on CKNW. It's a great show. Rabina, thank you very much for coming on today.
4: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: It's great to have you on again. And when we take a look at this latest survey here, Rabina, especially when it's how many people are just they're just barely scraping through here. This survey by MNP Limited, which is an insolvency company, it says more than half of Canadians, including more than half of British Columbians, are just barely paying the bills every month. They're like 200 bucks away every month from just getting all the bills paid. And, and that number is up, by the way. So we're going in the wrong direction here for the number of people who are struggling. Does that surprise you?
4: No. I mean, with interest rates uh, going up 475 basis points and. In- just about 18 months. So since March of 2020, uh, a lot of people are putting more and more money towards servicing their mortgage debt. Uh, If they went variable on their mortgage, uh, they've seen their payments more than double. And that means they're getting closer and closer to not being able to pay all their bills, definitely not having money left over uh, to save. And on top of that, like the clip that you you played at the beginning, um, everyday costs of remained high. So groceries are high. Household items are high. It's expensive when you go out to a restaurant. It's expensive when you travel. It's expensive when you uh, want to get something fixed in your home. Everybody's costs have gone up because they're also feeling it, right? So when you go to a restaurant and you say, wow, prices have really gone up, the restaurant has had to raise prices because their cost of uh, buying food that they then serve you has gone up. Their labor costs have gone up. And so all, all around, everyone is paying more.
0: Yeah. And when you take a look at that interest rate hike that you mentioned, I mean, for people who have a variable rate mortgage, obviously that's going to hit them very quickly. If you've got a home equity line of credit, uh, the, the interest bite there is, is going to bite deeper for you as well. What if you have other types of debt or loans? What if you've got like a student loan or a car loan or a credit card, credit card debt? Are, are those interest rates
4: set to go up too? So those are mostly fixed rates. So, for example, credit card debt is infamously high. It's always been 19, 20, even more, in some cases, percent. Uh, the problem is, is that even though the Bank of Canada's announcements don't affect those interest rates, those are already quite high uh, amounts, uh, high interest rate debts to service and so then let you have less and less money to pay things like your credit card off to make lump sum payments on the balance of your credit card and get that debt down and that means that you pay more and more interest on that and that gets more and more expensive when you first took your mortgage out, everything seemed doable, right? It seemed doable that you could continue to make this mortgage payment, continue to live the life that you had set up for yourself, make your car payment, maybe pay your student debt off. And because mortgage debt has become more expensive for those who, like you said, have variable rate mortgages or have uh, have taken money out of their home equity line of credit, um, that's just less money to pay down the other debt. And so then they put those priorities on hold and those cost a lot of money. The credit card company, if you're making minimum payments, is never going to ask you to pay more, but the interest is going to really rack up.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I really feel for people who are maxed out or they've, they've got some credit card debt or they've got loans and man, all of a sudden that interest bite is biting deeper and a lot of people are in. A lot of people are having trouble making ends meet. Let's have a listen to Mark Kalinowski here. He's with the Credit Counseling Society of BC. What if you can't pay your bills? What if you are just living on the edge, paycheck to paycheck? He so said a lot of people are trying to trying to pay the bills other ways, finding any way they can. Let's have a listen to what he has to say here. Then I'll get your thoughts.
2: They don't know what their next step is. They're sort of scraping by, making all their payments, maybe using their credit cards to help them get by this month, but their credit cards are running out of room.
0: Okay. When you max out your credit card, Rubina, that is not a nice feeling. I remember when I was a younger person, before I got smarter about my own personal finances, I remember having a, a couple of maxed out credit cards. Boy, that that's not a nice feeling. Are you hearing that from people?
4: Yeah, I mean, this MNP debt survey is showing that people are living paycheck to paycheck. They're making uh, essential purchases on their credit card. They are not able to pay those credit cards off in full, and many of them are getting close to that maxed out limit. The problem is is that credit card companies, when you get close to that limit, will often call you and up your limit. So you have more room so you can charge more money to it. And that's, you know, a, a really bad uh, situation because all of a sudden that's the only resource you have to pay for the items that you need, but it's putting you in more and more debt. Uh, credit card debt is one of the worst debts to have. It's only second to payday loans. Um, the interest is very high. As anyone who gets a credit card statement knows on the side by by uh, law, they have to put down how long it would take to pay if you just made the minimum payments. Even a small loan of, say, $1,000 would take years to pay off if you if you had a just made minimum payments on it uh, but some people don't have the choice uh, The last three years have been devastating for specific industries for sure tourism restaurant industry um, uh, a lot of healthcare workers have taken time off only because they're so burnt out not necessarily yeah. because there isn't the work to do and that has had a financial uh, burden that's made a really financial impact on those individuals
0: all right, we're talking about the difficult economy, more and more British Columbians having trouble making ends meet. My guest, Rabina Ahmed-Hawk, for what it's worth, Saturdays and Sundays on NW. Let's go to your calls, George in Nanaimo. Hi, George, go ahead.
5: Yeah, hi, Rabina. big fan, listen to you every Saturday. Um, I'm definitely in that boat. Um, I'm, I'm feeling quite uh, very frustrated because most of my problems seem to be created by bad government policy. They destroyed my business during COVID. I had to take on debt to try to keep going. Um, Now we watch the uh, excessive carbon taxes and everything else driving the cost of everything up. We've got Tiff Macklin and his ivory tower deciding to fiddle fart around. My mortgage went up $300. I just renewed it. And I'm now seeking creditor protection and, You guys have a lot of ads on the radio station about all these wonderful stories about how these people saved all the people. What you don't mention is that if you own a home, which I do, the bank is not willing to offer you any kind of a break. They'd rather have you just sell your house, pay what you owe, and go live in a tent somewhere.
0: Okay, George, thank you for that. I'm sorry for your troubles. Uh, Rabina. if people are having trouble with the mortgage What can you do? Can you phone the bank? Can you negotiate? Can you get a longer amortization? Do a deal? Renegotiate?
4: Yeah, I mean, if you want to keep your home, which it sounds like most people would like to. I mean, selling your home is probably the most devastating option. Uh, It means you're back to square one. The bank does have options. They're not ideal. Uh, One is to take a holiday for a month. That means you don't have to make a payment for that month. You can use that money to pay other bills, maybe pay uh, debt down that, that's been hanging around for a while. Uh, you can also look at refinancing if you've got some equity in your home. And then that way, that's going to give you some cash that you can use for other expenses. Um, it's, not a, it's not an ideal position to be in. But I think without, uh, you know... Uh, calling the bank, you won't know what your options are. And uh, the, although, you know, the bank is a, is a business, so I think people need to realize that they're there to make money and the money that they're making is off the interest that you're paying on their loans. Uh, they also are, they do have a vested interest for you not to default because they don't want to become real estate owners. Uh, so they they will work with you, uh, albeit, uh, you know, w- with it in mind that you're going to end up paying them probably more interest.
0: George, thank you very much for the call. Let's go to another call here. Peter in Burnaby. Hi, Peter. Go ahead. Thanks a lot. And thank you for
6: being a great guest. Uh, you know, I think we need to learn from our past. For decades, we've been warned that per capita spending in our country and in our personal lives has been out of control. The individual per person debt average in this country is awful. So what we've done as a family, as we've said, we don't spend what we don't have. I know that that doesn't solve it for people that are at their wit's end with just barely making it. But It's a proactive behavior that we started putting in place about a decade ago, and we just are really careful that if we don't have the money, if we can't afford to go on a vacation to Disneyland, then we don't. We save up the best we can. The most important thing we have to do is protect our ability to have a roof, food, and our well-being. So I think it's a hard lesson that we're learning now, but I think reflecting on where we've come from to where we need to go, this is going to be a tough time for a lot of us in this country.
0: Peter, thank you very much for the call. Rubina, what about that household debt? There's a lot of it in Canada. Do you think cheap? Pe- a lot of people are overextended?
4: Yeah, they are. And the problem is, is that for about two decades, uh, money has been quite cheap, uh, especially in the last five or six years, and especially in the last three years, where money was at just 0.25%, and you could borrow extra $100,000, and it wasn't that much more out of your pocket. Uh, for most of us, we have never lived through these kind of interest rates before. So interest rates where they are now, is five, the Bank of Canada has raised the rate to, uh, to a level at, that, it hasn't, that we haven't seen since 2001. Uh, 5% is the overnight rate that Target, at least. Um, if you think back to 2001, I mean, that's before Facebook, before we carried smartphones. That was the year of the September 11th attack. It was a long time ago. And so if you think of it from that perspective, most of us who have mortgages today don't even know how to manage our money with interest rates going the way that they are right now. Um, I think, the, uh, you know, our phone-in guest uh, has the right perspective. You know, don't spend money you don't have. Back okay. to basics, the way that my parents were when, they, when we were growing up. You know, if we can't afford it, we don't do it. Uh, there wasn't as much pressure to keep up with the Jones and always buy new stuff and always have the latest thing. Um, There is a lot more pressure now uh, than there was than there was 30, 40 years ago. Social media has not helped. I am victim to it as well, where I'll go on and say, wow, that person went on a fabulous holiday. Why are we not going on a fabulous holiday, even if we can't afford it? And I think that that has really, really put a lot of people in financial distress.
0: Rabina, great advice. And I, I think that's helping a lot of people. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it.
4: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We do a deep dive into the Bank of Canada's uh, rate decision this week, so be sure to tune in.
0: We start with the speed demons on the Sea to Sky Highway, including those three knuckleheads driving those three Porsches who were ticketed by police. These Porsches were impounded by the police, and this happened on Highway 99 near Squamish, and these Porsches... Three of them driving at dangerously high speeds, including one Porsche clocked at 195 clicks an hour. These guys are in trouble. i got Squamish City Councilor standing by, John French. First, have a listen to Paul Doroshenko talking on yesterday's show. How much trouble are these guys in?
6: They're looking at a ticket amount of $368. Plus, they have to pay a driver risk premium. That's $392. That's a bill that's going to come on their birthday. And if you're getting a tow from the highway, you're paying the tow rate from the highway. So you can uh, expect that uh, that's probably $1,000 towing and storage because it's seven-day impound, the first time out on an excessive. And if you do it again, and they look at your driving record after the impound has happened, right, the superintendent of motor vehicles reviews the, the seven-day driving prohibition. And if you've got a previous one on your record, then it's a 30-day vehicle impound. You're paying okay. for the towing storage for 30 days you're out your vehicle for 30 days
0: okay paul doroshenko on yesterday's show so these guys got rung up with some hefty tickets their porsches were impounded they're facing a driving prohibition are the penalties effective do we need tougher speed enforcement on the sea to sky let's discuss it now with my guest squamish counselor john french and i'm very pleased to welcome him counselor thank you for coming on today oh mike thanks it's my pleasure Okay, you have been ringing the alarm bells on this one for quite a while. Tell me what you're seeing out there. What are your concerns?
7: My concern is mostly around the speed differential between those that are traveling uh, the lowest speeds on the highway compared to those that are in the highest speeds. So we heard, you know, I just heard you saying 195 kilometers an hour. Nobody needs to go that fast on the Sea to Sky Highway. And then we also have travelers from uh, out of province who aren't used to this type of highway who are only comfortable doing 80 kilometers an hour that's a difference a massive difference and the safety data indicates that that speed differential is the main problem so averaging out the speed on the highway i think is one of the solutions to improving safety. So that means if the speed limit is 90 kilometers an hour, and for the most part, the traffic is doing 100 kilometers an hour,
0: that makes for really safe travel. Okay, does it crank up in the summertime? Like, do you see more speeding in the summer months? So yes, it does.
7: However, in my mind, that's not particularly relevant because in the winter months, we often have poor weather, which is also problematic from a, a crash data perspective and a safety perspective. So fast summer speeds in the summer, when, when the conditions are great, and in the wintertime, when the conditions are not great, uh, the, the speed isn't as high. But if you're doing 80 kilometers an hour in a full-on winter storm uh, on bald summer tires, yeah. you're a super dangerous driver.
0: Okay, let's talk about your, your call here for automated speed enforcement. How would this work? Okay, so there's a few
7: different automated systems out there, but the one that I think that would be most effective for the Cedar to Sky Highway is called speed over distance enforcement. So what this looks like would be a camera system and some calculating uh, computing devices, along with lots of signage, say, just south of Lions Bay and this exact same setup just north of Lions Bay. And I'm just using that as an example. And what would happen is vehicles both north and southbound would get photographed when they enter the zone and then photographed again leaving the zone. The computer devices would do their work and determine who is Who was traveling too fast through that zone? Humans would review that data and then send out speed tickets to those who are offending.
0: Okay, so, yeah, this is an interesting idea. It's been done in other jurisdictions, so it would be an automatic sort of camera, computerized process, so everything would be done automatically. And why do you think that would be necessary here? Because what we're doing now is not effective enough. Uh, You know,
7: that those three vehicles that were speeding at those speeds, getting hit with those fines and those towing charges is great. And we know since enforcement was beefed up a bit after the uh, major overhaul for the Olympics, we still have significant crashes that are leading leading to death, major injuries and long, long closure delays. So yes, we've done some great work to try and reduce those crashes but clearly we need to do more because they're still happening. And I think this is the solution, or I think
6: this
0: is okay. one part of the puzzle. Okay. What do you say to people? And and I know I'm going to hear this. We'll open the phone lines here after a break and we'll see what people think about this. But what, what do you say to people who say, this is nothing but a cash grab. This is, this is just a, a cash cow for government. You want to set up these automatic cameras so you can just pick the pockets of people and just, just make money for, for your local government or for governments everywhere. What do you say to that? that That's a cash grab. What I say
7: is it is totally up to the drivers in places where these are set up. The signage is hit you over the head with a two by four large. Everybody knows going into the zone what's happening. So I don't want that revenue. I don't want the district of Squamish to collect any money from something like this. What I want is for safe travel on the highway and if this system were to accomplish safe travel on the highway, we'd get no revenue because nobody would be its excessively speeding, and uh, our crash data would drop significantly.
0: Okay, so you're saying that what you're describing there, you're, you're saying that it's not going to be like a secret speed trap. This is not going to be like, you know... Uh Not at all. A police officer hiding behind a billboard in a highway and just trapping people and catching people unawares. Everyone would know that this system is in place. You'd have a huge sign there saying you're entering into this automated speed enforcement now, right?
7: And I would be banking on if this system was put into place uh, in the lead up to the system being implemented. uh, Good journalists like you would be covering this to death, along with all of your colleagues, so that going into it, the whole world... Knows this is happening, and then when people actually drive on the highway, they see those signs. And oh, I remember Michael Spence talking about this on TKNW. Yeah, yeah. No, you
0: don't want to. I I like the way that you you frame it there. That you don't want to make it some sort of secret thing. You just very upfront and open about it with the with the signage, so everybody knows what they're getting into. All right, Councillor, thank you for your time today. And by the way, wh- where is this at right now? I mean, this is an interesting idea. Have you actually made a, an official proposal on it? Uh, not an official proposal. So uh, right.
7: former Lions Bay mayor, um, Mr. Burr, was floating this back in 2018, and yeah. it sort of dropped off everybody's radar through the pandemic. So I have requested a meeting with uh, Mike Barnworth, this Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General at the Union of BC Municipalities Convention in September. I will be pitching him on this, and then my hope is he'll give it some thought and bring it back to the Cabinet and consider it at the provincial Cabinet level.
0: Okay, we'll, we'll follow it closely. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for your interest. Okay, so let's talk about getting a, uh, a bar license in the city of Vancouver. Let's say you want to set up a place where you can get away and everyone knows your name. How difficult is it to get a bar license in the city? I'll tell you what. It's expensive. There's a lot of red tape. It takes a long time. My next guest knows exactly what I'm talking about, Cameron Bogue. Cameron is the owner of Mount Pleasant Vintage and Provisions. Hey, Cameron, thanks for coming on today. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm doing great, Cameron. Thanks a lot for doing this, and congratulations. You just got your liquor primary license at your place, right? Yes, sir, yes, sir. uh, We are now officially a bar. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. I know this it's a lot of work to get that across the finish line there. Where is your place located? Uh, our restaurant is called Mount
8: Pleasant Vintage and Provisions. Uh, yeah. We're just north or south of Olympic Village on 6th and
0: Ontario. Okay. How long have you been in that location? Uh, with Ten months. We opened August 31st of last year. Okay. So let's talk about this license now. What kind of license were you able to, to uh, secure here? Um, the province has two licenses, a food primary and a liquor primary, both, right. uh, self, Like
8: self-explanatory. Uh, the food primary is very easy to get, and it's implied that you're a restaurant that serves food as the majority of your sales. So we opened with one of those, um, which gives us huge challenges as uh, the goal of being a bar. We had to design the restaurant, the flow to start as a restaurant and transition to a bar. Fingers crossed we got the liquor primary license.
0: Right. So you had, you actually applied for both, right? So you started off with a food primary liquor license and now, and then you, and you had a, a, a simultaneous application for a liquor primary license, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and now this is, so how long did this take? How long did it take to get the liquor primary license?
8: We started in November of 2021. So it took us 18 months.
0: Oh. <laughs> okay. 18 months. Now I'm just, I'm trying to figure out like, is that a reasonable amount of time to get a to get a bar license in the city? I mean, how do you characterize it? Eight, 18 month process? No, no, it's definitely not reasonable. It's uh, it's yeah. why this is one of the hardest markets in in North America
8: to open in because our laws are are, are demonizing bars and just social places to hang out. Um, but mm-hmm. we are in a position that our our new council member with Ken, being led by Ken Sim, is uh, is making a difference. Um, I was very, very fortunate to be with him when he was running and, and he explained his platform uh, to, to challenge the city's no fun moniker. Uh, yeah. And it sounds like he's doing it. I was a bit of uh, the brunt of this. I, I went through the worst of it, um, uh, but I'm starting to see the changes and I'm lucky to be included in the conversations to, to help pave a way for future entrepreneurs so they don't have to don't have to do this.
0: Yeah. Why did you want the, the liquor primary license? I mean, you already had your food primary license basically running a, running a restaurant, but you could, you could serve liquor in your restaurant, right, even with the restaurant license,
8: right? Correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. Uh, to operate as a restaurant, every seat has to have a table. So Every bum has to have a place to sit and dine. So this eliminates the sociability of just standing at the bar. Um, to be able to, when guests walk in the door, are you here for dinner or drinks? A uh, table will be ready in 40 minutes. Why don't you go to the bar and have a drink while you wait? That's not allowed in this city. Standing is only reserved for nightclubs with DJs. So there's this polarity between the two, which, uh, which doesn't allow for this entire category of sociability.
0: Yeah. Okay, I can understand why you would want the, the liquor primary license there. So now that you have that, you, your customers can do that. They can come in and stand at the bar and have a drink?
8: Yeah, full on. So we, uh, our goal is to be a, a neighborhood bar and grill that just over delivers with a great cocktail program and we cook everything over our wood fire grill. And we're going to continue to serve food from open to close. Um, but the restaurant will be split. The front half, we have seating and dining. You're welcome to sit down. Uh, if you want to sit in the backyard, it is a backyard. I don't know if you've been by, but we have AstroTurf, bleacher seating, Jenga, uh, washer toss. So we do have that and, and these cool lawn chairs. So it's implied that we want to have people come in here and use the space like their own, especially a city where people don't have backyards. Come on by, use ours.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know what, Cameron, I have not come, I have not been by your place yesterday, but I'm, I'm absolutely putting it at the top of my list. I want to come by and check it out because it, it, it sounds great. Speaking to Cameron Bogue, Mount Pleasant Vintage and Provisions is the name of his place. Just got his his bar license there. So we talked about, 18-month process to get this done. How much did this cost you? This costs a lot of money to get this this done too, right? Yeah, it was about $40,000. Um,
8: there's a lot of money in, in consultants for them to be able to uh, to dot the I's and cross the T's correctly, uh, to be able to schmooze with council members and be able to uh, to get us into this position. Um, and on top of that, there's just extenuating fees that that are, that are challenging, especially for an operator that didn't put this in the opening costs. I'm just trying to keep my head above water right now. And then you're yeah. you're, you're throwing. I, I had a 4,200 dollars charge for a third party to come and do an acoustic test. So it's just just money on top of money when we're not making any. So it's just a it's just a myriad of challenges. That's not very opportunistic for creatives in the city.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. Oh man, that's a lot of time, a lot of money. So what about the neighborhood? Do they have? Do you have to consult? With the neighbors, do the neighbors, the people who residents who live around your place, do they have to approve of this? Are they allowed? Is there a process where they can object to it? Yeah,
8: you're you're totally right. So for 30 days, we put a sign out front saying our 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 goal of changing to liquor primary. We meet with the neighbors at the community center, get feedback, and and our concept being a neighborhood bar and grill. I love my neighbors. I love people, and I want to be uh be part of the hood. so, yeah, we did have uh, neighbors across the street that were in opposition. We've met with them. I'm doing whatever I can, including closing the front patio early, um, not having music to a higher volume out front, and having guests exit out the back. So it is a very useful process to be collaborative with the neighbors, to get that feedback, to be able to, uh, to be part of the community.
0: And did anyone object? I mean, did anyone fight you on the liquor license and, and argued against it? Yeah, so there was, I think there was seven of us going for liquor primaries uh, at that
8: council, the first one under Ken Sim, Um and I was the only one that had objection. Uh, I do have four um, uh, heritage houses across the street, and all 11 of the tenants uh, opposed and showed up to City Hall um, uh, in opposition, kind of telling me why, uh, why, why I changed the neighborhood, and it, it's not to their advantage.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay and how do you deal with that? How do you deal with when you have people who are objecting you? Do you try and sort of talk to them and calm them down, or what's your, how do you approach that? Yeah, I think you can hear it in my voice. Like
8: I'm, I'm a bit of an empath. Like I really want to people-please and, and, uh, and have everybody have a good time and, and be part sure. of the neighborhood. Um, yeah. So for me, it's just trying to be better than, than, than I was the day before. So continue to work with them regardless of the relationship, regardless of the opposition. Uh, I get it, right? I live in a heritage house on, on uh, Victoria Drive. I understand the challenges of single-pane windows, so I'm doing everything I can to, uh, to try to work with them and, and be a good neighbor.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly think that is the correct approach. Now, when you look back on this whole saga that you've been through here all the time, all the money, you, you finally got it across the finish line, and you've got your, your bar license now. Is it all worth it? Like, when you look back on it now, how would you describe the process? Did you, did you find it draining? Was it stressful? You, you want to have a follow up call in a few months? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah,
8: uh, it was, it was exhausting it, it, emotionally. It was a, it was more of a roller coaster than I would have ever imagined. Um, the the highs have been there, but the the lows have been been pretty dark at times. Um, it, it's challenging going into uh, City Hall in a in a, a pretty intimidating room with a past um, a past council run by by uh, by Kennedy that that denied all these for decades. So going into that room with the chance of everything, my investment, my life, like everything I put put into this place is 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 in limbo based on a five minute presentation decided by people I don't know on the spot. So the culmination of eighteen months came down to one decision in a split moment after hearing both sides. So so yes, it was absolutely terrifying more scary process than I've ever imagined, um, but a, a pretty big, pretty big high when I when I came out up on the on the upside.
0: I'm sure that felt great. What, how did it feel to to get the uh, the approval?
8: It was awesome. It was awesome. I, it, I it was I was very happy that, that Ken Sam and his council members have stood up to the commitments they made on on their platform when they were running, which is to make the city fun, which is to expedite these permits. Um, some of the, the the goal is to get the liquor licenses in faster, liberalize the, the two categories. And then also our building permits. It's not just limited to the liquor licensing. Our building, the building permit department, development department, everything takes 3, 6, 12, 18 months. And for an independent, we're not a fuller Aquilini or Gilardi. Like We don't have years of rent to sit on a place. So it's, it's just a myriad of challenges. And, and it sounds like we're headed in the right direction, um, I support Ken Sim and I, I I see the change and I I really hope that uh, that we see it because there's a lot of cool creative people here that that want to have fun.
0: So you think so you therefore think that Ken Sim and and his idea to, he wants Vancouver to shed this no fun city label. You know he has said that he wants the city to have a cool vibe and he he wants the city to be more fun now you know a lot of people have poked a little fun at him saying well what what exactly are you talking about we, you know he was on a stage on the weekend there at a street party shotgunning <laughs> a beer famously so but would you say that i mean you know you're you're right at the spot where the rubber hits the road on this stuff w- would you say that he's sort of backing up the talk with action here when when you see the process that you went through took a long time cost a lot of money but you got your liquor license
8: yeah, so for the liquor licensing, I'm still learning what's happening, um, but it seems like it is going faster. Things are getting expedited, and they're trying to streamline the process. And then there's also big claims of uh, a building. My building permit, I can't even remember off the top of my head, it all takes forever, like months on months on months, six to nine months to get. Um, the goal that I've heard from this platform is to copy markets like Ontario, where we get this down to a 48-hour time frame where you can wow. get a permit within two days and then fill out the, the, the checks and balances uh, with your approved architect. So that's just one of many things. But uh, the claims that I've heard are, and the, and the goals are pretty ambitious, um, but they're very actionable. If, if it happens, it's really going to kind of give us a boost and give an a, a, a easier barrier to entry to, to entrepreneurs.
0: Cameron, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations on on getting the license for your place, and I hope it's a big success for you. Thank you very much for coming on to talk about it today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.